Welcome to the Wellsteading Podcast. This is episode 263. Today is April 28th, 2018. I'm your host, John Pugliano. I'm also the founder and money manager at investablewealth.com. And today I'm going to talk tech stocks. Specifically, I'm going to be talking about my holdings. Those are things like Google, Cisco, Intel. We'll get into all that in just a minute. I do want to mention that the reason I'm talking about tech stocks today is because people are always asking me, John, what should I buy? And, you know, John, is it too late to buy? Well, if you've been watching the headlines this week, you've probably noticed that some major tech stocks like Facebook and Amazon, I believe Netflix as well, they've really gapped up. Their prices have uh, have really jumped up this past week. And the reason these stocks performed so well is that they had really good earnings announcements. Now, some other stocks that announced this week, for example, Google, it also had very good earnings announcements. But Google's stock is not skyrocketing in price. In fact, it's sitting right around its 200-day moving average. Oh, incidentally, I'm saying Google. I realize that Google is owned by Alphabet, and the proper terminology would be Alphabet. But hey, come on, the ticker symbol looks a whole lot more like Google than it does Alphabet. Most people know it by Google, and so that's what I call it. Please forgive and overlook my synaptic ignorance. In any case, as far as technology and the FANG stocks, um, I don't own Netflix. I don't own Facebook or Amazon. I don't own a lot of the popular tech stocks like NVIDIA. What I own right now are mostly what I call old school stodgy tech stocks. But I do own Google. Google is kind of long in the tooth, but it does make up the category of FANG stocks. That's F-A-N-G. I'm not going to go into that now. If you don't know what it is, go back and research it. But you should generally have an idea of what the FANG stocks are if you've been paying attention to the stock market over the last, I don't know, five years, something like that when the the phrase was coined. Technology sector has been beat up lately. You've missed the absolute optimum time to purchase as, as far as I think. I think the lows have been put in. But the question for this episode is, did you miss an opportunity to buy the tech sector? I don't necessarily think you did, and that's why I'm going to talk about some particular ETFs and, you know, broadly in the tech sector. Now, did you miss an opportunity to invest in Facebook or Amazon? Well, well, probably not, but I don't own those, so I'm not going to really talk about those. I'll tell you specifically what I own as I get into this episode, and you're going to see that a lot of these, as I mentioned before, they're old school names. They're stodgy tech. They're not the high-flying momentum stocks and, and definitely not the, the new, new stocks, the initial public offering kind of things that you so often hear talked about on you know the cable news channels or something like CNBC. And the point I want to make with that is that I don't invest in those kind of momentum stocks ever. Or I don't say ever, rarely. Very infrequently will you see me investing in a stock or in a sector that has a lot of momentum to it uh, from the aspect of popularity. As an example, a few years ago when there was an initial public offering of GoPro and so many listeners, particularly those of you that are very young, were telling me, John, why aren't you investing in GoPro? It's, uh, you know, it's revolutionary. It's stock price is going to go to the moon. My own teenage son at the time, which was a, uh, an owner, a user, and a big fan of GoPro, he was telling me, Dad, you're just old school and, and out of touch. You should be buying GoPro. Well, there were a number of reasons why I didn't purchase GoPro. One of them happened to be that I just don't invest in initial public offerings at all. I think they generally come out with a lot of hype. 
I never know when the bottom's going to fall out of them, when they're going to go out of favor, and generally when they do, and usually it's within the first 6 to 12 months after they've been issued and after the lockout period has expired when the insiders can get out. Uh, But those stocks, not always, but oftentimes tend to settle down and fall out of favor. That was certainly the case with GoPro. Yes, it went up for um, maybe the first four or five months after its initial public offering, but it peaked out sometime, I think, around November, December of 2014. It tried to make some recoveries, but there was no substantial profits there. It was nothing revolutionary. Despite all the hype and all the marketing, it is simply a camera that you strap onto your head. Oh, I know, maybe a little more than that, but bottom line, the price fell apart, it fell hard, and I don't know, over the last two, two and a half years, it's been in a long, stagnant decline, and that's after it fell from something like $80 a share back at the end of 2014 to like $10 a share a couple years ago. Right now, currently, it's trading under $5. I didn't just cherry pick GoPro. What happened to GoPro, I would say, happens to the majority of momentum stocks. And that's why if you invest in them, you need to be prepared to get out of them and get out of them fast. The ones that have been very successful, like an Amazon or like a um, a Netflix, we remember those because they're currently successful and they've been successful for a long time. But to me, that type of vision is myopic because you're, you're being affected by, I guess what you can call survivability bias. You're looking at the handful of momentum stocks that have survived rather than looking at the vast majority of them that have failed. A quick uh, plug for my book here, The Robots Are Coming. There's one chart and only one chart that I have published in that book, and it's the chart that shows the 3D printing industry and how that peaked at around, I think it was the year 2013 or so, and how it fell apart, you know, dropped down 80-90% from its peak, and how it's been stagnant for the last two or three years. I picked that chart to put in there, and I could have put in probably a hundred other charts of other industries going all the way back to the railroads in the 1800s. If you study and learn that one chart, you can forget about all the other hundreds of them because it's essentially the same thing. You have a lot of momentum, you have a lot of hype about a new technology, it eventually peaks out and the prices come back down to reality. That's the story of every new technology as it gets introduced into the marketplace. So whether it's 3D printers or whether it's the internet or whether it's nuclear energy or the railroads or hey cryptocurrency for that point, that's the boom and bust cycle that occurs with any hyped up technology and I say this to not tell you to avoid technology stocks. In fact, I would tell you you should always be looking at buying technology. If you go back to an episode I did a couple years ago, uh, you can go search for it. I believe it's something called like the three most important sectors of the economy, something like that. I mentioned in there that there's really only three sectors of the stock market or the economy that matter. All the other sectors are simply incidental or place supporting roles in the economy. Now those three most important sectors of the economy are technology, banking, and energy. Now I'm not saying that healthcare or transportation or consumer staples or entertainment or or pick any other sector of the economy. I'm not saying that they're not important. I'm just saying that technology, banking, and banking you can refer to as finance, and then finally energy 
Those are the three most important sectors of the economy because to the extent of all the other sectors of the economy, whether it be transportation or entertainment or foreign currency markets or whatever you want to pick, all those other sectors of the economy, their success or failure will be predicated on those three most important sectors. You can go listen to that old episode. In fact, I'll dig up the, uh, the link for it. I'll put it in, t- in today's show notes. But you should listen to that episode for a, a better explanation. The bottom line here is that the reason that those three sectors are so important is that technology is ever-changing. And technology, more than anything, is expanding the human experience. And so whether you go back to caveman days from when they started to learn how to use fire until modern times when we learn how to use electricity or nuclear energy or cryptocurrency, technology is always advancing the condition of mankind. And so you should always be paying attention to the technological revolution of the time you're living in. It may have been the railroads, you know, 150 years ago, 20 years ago, it may have been the advent of the internet. Today, a lot of people think it's blockchain. The reason that energy and banking are the other two important sectors are that nothing's gonna happen without energy. You're not gonna move automobiles or trains without energy, just like you're not gonna move electrons Uh, for the use of cryptocurrency or the internet, you're not going to move them without energy either. It may be a different form of energy, but it all comes back to energy. So you need a modern society to be driven by energy. And then finally, banking or finance. If you don't have this new technology being financed, being driven, having the money put together to invest in these new technologies, then they're not going to occur. And that's why finance and banking are so important. So there you have it. Those are the three most important sectors of the economy. I prefer when I'm investing in technology to take a few steps back from that bleeding edge and definitely avoid the hype driven stocks. So what I try and do is I want to focus on companies that are currently making money and they're making money by either creating new technology or being companies that are benefiting by applying technology. Again, if you go back to my book, The Robots Are Coming, the entire fourth section of that book talks about that concept. And so do I miss a great opportunity by choosing to not invest in something like NVIDIA? Absolutely. But think of all the money I saved by not investing in similar stocks that fell apart and now have a stock value of zero. That's why I stick with tried and true companies generally are on the Fortune 500. And the key to it is owning appreciating assets. So you just can't buy and hold forever. You have to follow what's going on and you have to be prepared to move in and out of stocks. In particular, that really applies to one stock that I own. Actually, it applies to many stocks that I own, but the one I want to talk to you about today, as it it refers to the tech sector, is Intel. I bought Intel this past summer. I think it was sometime around middle July of 2017. Now, that stock has done phenomenal. Uh, It's done well recently, but just even over these last you know, nine months or so that I've owned it, it's up in excess of 50%. I think based on its performance, based on its price volume action, based on things like its underlying value, its price per earnings ratio, its outlook for the money that it's going to make in the future, I think it's still a good buy. I'm not telling you to go out and buy it. I'm simply telling you why I still own it, even though it's gone up more than 50% in the last you know, eight or nine months that I've owned it. You know, why aren't I selling it? Why aren't I taking a profit? Well, I think it still has further to run. So I'm long on the stock and I'm holding it. The key point I want to make here is that I only bought that stock last summer. 
I bought it back then because I thought it hit the right buy point, that that stock had an opportunity to break out, and that it was an underappreciated or undervalued stock. But what I didn't do was I didn't own Intel a year ago. I didn't own it two years ago. I didn't own it six years ago. Heck, I didn't own it 15 years ago. And the reason is, is because Intel has been a dog stock for the better part of the last 20 years. Literally, I, I think it's been uh, in a downtrend for something on the order of uh, 18 years. I think it peaked out around the summer of 2000. It's when it blew up along with all the other stocks that were way too overpriced during the internet bubble. And although it's had a couple run-ups here and there over the last 20 years, it has been a losing proposition. Well, about eight or nine months ago, because of my study into the market, because of looking at different stocks and other comparative values, I decided that old stodgy tech was a good thing to invest in, and in particular, I thought it would be wise to purchase Intel. And so I did, and hey, it's up more than 50%. But hey, let's also take a step back, because you know what I bought around that same day, and certainly within a few weeks of that, I bought some other stocks. One of them was IBM. And yes, IBM has been another one of those dog stocks for the last 20 years or so. But last year, I felt that the fortunes of IBM were turning around and changing, I still believe that now, but you know what? I've been wrong. In the eight or nine months that I've owned IBM, I'm currently down about 5%. I'm not making any money on IBM. I bring this up because the key point that I, I wanna bring out to you is I talk about, hey, I do think it's a good idea to be investing in technology. And of course, you have to be wise about what you invest in, but you also have to diversify. And so when I talk about, yes, I invest in technology, I'm doing these as position trades. So yes, I invested in Intel. Yes, I own Google. I also own IBM and Cisco, and I, I own a couple uh, ETFs as well, which I'll talk about in a minute. And so the point I'm making here is that you not only have to invest in a particular sector, but you have to make sure that you're broadly diversified within that sector and even without that sector. So yes, I'm big on technology. I'm invested broadly across the economy. I'm heavily weighted in things like international stocks and uh, in particular emerging markets. I'm very much invested in healthcare. I'm also right now very big on banking, which is again, one of the three big sectors of the economy I think you should own. And so today, while I say I think that technology is still a good sector to invest in, I'm not saying that you should avoid some of these other areas. I'm still very much holding my positions and think we're going to get some good appreciation in things like healthcare, international, and emerging markets. We'll have some other episodes about those in the future. But for now, let's dig into my tech holdings. Do I think you should own IBM? Well, I don't know. It's, it's been out of favor for decades. They have a lot of financial shenanigans, uh, balance sheet engineering over there. But one of the reasons I did purchase IBM last year is I do think they've turned a corner on some of their advanced technologies. We'll see if they can actually pull it off. I think you should maybe avoid it. But for right now, I have less than 5% of my overall portfolio in IBM. I'm going to hold it for right now. Remember, I'm not looking at just purchasing IBM. I'm looking at a position trade. It's not just one stock. It's a basket of stocks. Speaking of Cisco, it's a stock that's performed you know, pretty good the last four weeks or so. Yeah, it pulled back with the rest of the market, but you know what? It got down around there. It bounced off its 100-day moving average. I think it's doing quite well. 
I wouldn't necessarily say to run out and buy it tomorrow, but from a technical standpoint, it is right in what I would consider a hook and barb pattern. And it's trying to break out of oh, somewhere, I'd say a range of around $44.70, If it can get above that level, yes, I think it'll go on to make all-time new highs. But the catch there is if it can break out. I think it will. I think it probably has better than a 60% chance that it will. But I have limited my exposure to Cisco to 5% or less of my overall portfolio. Are you starting to see a trend here? I could say a similar story about Intel, other than the fact that recently, just in the last uh, week or so, it has broken out above that buy point. It's gapped up considerably, and I definitely wouldn't tell you to run out and buy it today, but again, I am not selling Intel, even though I have a very substantial profit in that stock, because overall, I still think it's undervalued. If you look at its future price per earnings ratio, it's less than 14. Now, obviously, that's predicated on the fact that the analysts aren't lying to us or they haven't been misled by management over at Intel. And, you know, that's something you have to take into consideration. I bought GE based on looking at forward guidance from analysts. And frankly, there was a lot of fraud at GE, a lot of things that were swept under the carpet that didn't come out under the administration of the old uh, chief executive officer over there, who personally I think should be in jail, but that's not going to happen. And so to some degree, you have to take these price per earnings ratios with a grain of salt. But overall, Intel looks to me that it still has a lot of room to appreciate. And that's why for now, I'm not selling Intel. Now, Google. And so the only thing I'm going to say about Google is, is that I personally still think it's a buy. I purchased it just a, a few months ago at the, at the end of the year. I think it was right around the end of December 2017. So I've held it now for about four months. It has fallen out of favor as some of the other stocks did like Facebook, like Amazon, when there was concern that all governments, but in particular Donald Trump, was targeting them, that uh, maybe things like Amazon, Netflix, Facebook, Google, they, they would be seeing a continued attack from governments, uh, not only the way they handle information and from privacy issues, but also from antitrust rules and regulations saying that, you know, Google was, was too large, that Facebook were, uh, they were, they were monopolies, Amazon's a monopoly. Well, this week you've seen that because Amazon and Facebook have produced such astounding earnings, they've gapped up, they've overcome a lot of that negativity. Google also announced very good earnings this week, but I believe they were unfairly nitpicked about what they're saying about future earnings and particular about their, uh, their, their spending for, for current programs. One of the problems was that they said that, uh, that advertising revenue is going up from a, a top-line standpoint, but is being degraded some on the bottom-line profit, which you would expect, right? Again, Google's not a new technology. It's been around a long time. The bigger concern, though, was that Google is continuing to spend a lot of money on other projects and in trying to build their existing businesses. Well, you know, that spend burn is totally adjustable. I believe one of the reasons they spent so much this past quarter was to counter some of the benefits that they're going to be seeing from the adjustment to the tax code because, you know, Google has about $100 billion. That's $100 billion in cash. $100 billion, to put that into perspective, yeah, no, it's not as much as Apple has on hand, but it's a huge amount of money. I think that there are only... 50 stocks that trade on the S&P 500 that have a market capitalization 
above 100 billion. So what that is saying is that Google could go out and buy all but 50 of the top 500 companies in America that are publicly traded on the S&P 500. They could go out and buy 450 of those blue chip companies and still have money left over. That's how much money Google has on hand. Google's forward price per earnings ratio, yeah, it's a little higher than average. When you factor in all that cash they have on hand, that actually brings the P.E. down to more of a very average to maybe even below average forward price per earnings projection. And what I think is important there is, is when you look at Google compared to the average company in the S&P 500, I think Google still has a lot of runway ahead of them. I think they have a lot of opportunity for appreciation. I think Google's stock can continue to go higher from here, even though it's not a brand new technology. And the reason for it is that Google has a big moat built around their business. As much as people want to say they hate uh, Google, and you can apply this to Facebook or Amazon or a lot of other businesses, you can apply this to Walmart, there are certain companies that have big moats around their business. It's hard to penetrate them. It's hard to come up with a competing technology or competing business model. Certainly, Google is one of those type companies. They've been that way for a long time. I think they, again, have room to run. Now, will there be another tech company or a different algorithm or another technology that replaces them? Oh, there probably will be. In fact, there's no doubt in my mind that at some point, they'll either go out of favor as a business or be replaced by something else. But I don't think that point is in the next 6 to 18 months. And for all the talk about people that are going to switch from using things like uh, YouTube, and I believe most of you know that YouTube is, is a Google property. Alphabet owns Google and they own YouTube. And while there's people saying they're going to you know, dissent and take their content off of YouTube, or they say they're going to stop using Google as a search engine, and, and again, certainly people do, but the vast, vast majority of people stay on Google. They use Gmail. They use YouTube. And they're not leaving anytime soon. Just for a little thought experiment, go over and look at uh, what's considered maybe controversial uh, topics or subjects, uh, people that are leaving YouTube because they're getting uh, what they feel was you know, un unfairly censored from YouTube. Look at something like a gun channel. A lot of those guys are really up in arms that their, their content is being censored, and a lot of them have put their content on other servers or other kind of providers. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm just saying... Look at the number of subscribers that one of those channels has on YouTube and then go over and look at a comparable competitor where they're putting their content and you're going to see it's not even vaguely close. Uh, a guy like Hickok45, I think he has over 5 million subscribers on YouTube. You go over to some of these alternative channels where he's put his content and I think it's maybe like 10,000. I don't know. I don't have that in front of me. I might be exaggerating a little bit, but I don't think. I think it's that much of a disparity. 5 million versus maybe 10 or 15,000 subscribers. That's a huge difference. That's just one example to show you how people, the general population, the public, the users, where the eyeballs are, where the advertising dollars are, they're not leaving Google, they're not leaving YouTube, they're not leaving Facebook. They're going to continue to use these types of free social media. And because of that, the reason that companies like Google and Facebook have been so successful, and I think they're going to continue being successful in at least the near term, is because that's where all the advertising dollars are going. Something like 80% of ad revenue are earned by Google and Facebook. 
Again, down the road, technologies will shift. Those two companies will probably go out of favor like many others have before them. But I doubt very much old stodgy media companies like Broadcast TV or the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal, you know, these print type medias or Broadcast TV, things like AM and FM radio, they've lost enough of their audience base where they're never going to get those ad revenues back. And if you go back 20, 30, 40, 50, 100 years ago, that's where all the ad revenues went. They went to newspapers. They went to yellow pages. They went to AM radio stations. Those days are gone probably forever. Digital companies like Facebook and Amazon have come in. They've taken all that revenue. And again, down the road it will change, but it's not changing over the next 16 to 18 months, which is all I care about. And that's why I continue to own Google. I think it's at a good buy point. And I'll just end this segment by saying I think technology in general is at a good buy point. Many of these tech companies and the indexes that follow them are hovering somewhere around their 50 or 100-day moving average. And certainly buying it today isn't as good as an opportunity of buying it maybe three or four weeks ago. But I think as long as they're somewhere around their 50 or 100-day moving average, these companies are probably a buy point. And in particular, I like some of the broader diversified ETFs. I'm going to tell you one of my own, which is RYT. Romeo Yankee Tango. The reason I like that ETF is because unlike the Qs, the QQQ, RYT is invested in technology, but it's equally based and not market cap based. So what that means is if you go out and you buy the QQQs, you're going to be heavily weighted in the FANG stocks. You're going to own a higher percentage of Apple, Facebook, Google, right? All these big tech companies. If you buy RYT, I don't think there's any company that makes up more than, say, 2% of the overall index. If you search RYT over my website, investablewealth.com, you'll see where I have that laid out. And there's a comparison between QQQ and RYT. And I give my rationale a few weeks ago when I bought into RYT. And that's really the point. The point is, I think that technology is going to continue to grow. I think over the past month or so, it's been out of favor. That's obviously changing now with the big gap up that we've seen with Facebook and Amazon. And I'm not rushing in to buy Facebook and Amazon, but I like technology broadly. I think an ETF like RYT gives you that broad tech exposure. I think it's going to go up in the future. And I think if you wait for it to get down to its 200-day moving average, which it hasn't recently, it's only gotten around its you know, 50 and 100-day moving averages, and that's because technology has been such a superior performing sector that you've got to go all the way back to probably the summer of 2016 to see these tech indexes get down below their 200-day moving averages. Even the S&P 500 broadly, you know, people ask me, you know, what day should I buy? Well, over the last four months, when you've seen all this supposed volatility and turbulence in the market, do you realize that the S&P 500 has only gotten down below or at its 200-day moving average, I think, three or four days? Now, I don't have the chart in front of me, and I am talking about the 200-day moving average that's based on the intraday low, not necessarily the 200-day close. It's a subtle difference, but that's the way I track it. In any case, I think the last time I looked at that chart yesterday, there were only three or four days in the last four months when the S&P hit that. And so if you weren't exactly there for that 20 minutes during the trading session on that particular day, you would have missed the 200-day moving average. But that's okay. 
you've had plenty of opportunity to buy in below the 50, below the 100A. And with technology, as I said, I don't think a major technology index has dropped below its 200-day moving average for close to two years now. So don't wait on it to go that low. Look at what makes sense, and I'll throw one other name out to you that I own, and that's CQQQ. That's Charlie, Quebec, Quebec, Quebec. That's the Chinese tech sector. And the reason I purchased that is, again, because things like the emerging markets, markets like China have been out of favor All kinds of people are worried about trade wars, which I don't think are going to happen. I don't think all these tariffs that are going to destroy the economy are going to materialize. And so I not only wanted to invest in China, but specifically I wanted to invest in some other tech companies. I didn't want to go out and buy directly into um, Alibaba. Now that is a stock that, I don't know, two or three years ago I did own directly. I didn't want to purchase that now. I didn't want to purchase Tencent right now. But I did want to own a portion of them, and that's why I took less than 5% of my overall investing portfolio, and I recently purchased CQQQ. 